Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's Father Nathan. Father John. Here we are. Here we are, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Some things are uh, outside of our grasp, and possibly innocence might be one of them. Yeah, that is true. I uh, sent a email to Alfonso Pinto. I don't think he listens to the podcast. This is my f- fellow professor of dogmatic theology. He's also my boss because he's, he's the uh, cycle director, and he was just grilling me about my syllabus, which is apparently not up to par for the class that starts in, in a week, the two classes. Yeah. I said, quit persecuting the holy innocence of your young professors. And he goes, there's nothing innocent in all of you. And I was like, okay, we'll take that. You know, Something like that. Innocence might not be the word that comes to mind when people meet us, but Brooke at the uh, Sanos Italian restaurant tonight, Right, that was a bit of a shock. So she, Yeah, I mean, she said, how was your Christmas? I said, well, it's a work day, but uh, we, it was really good. It was a nice lead-in, though. You know, yeah, I, I, laid, the bear, subtle, I laid, the, laid the bear trap so for What do you guys do? We weren't in clerics. We were just getting a quick bite here. It's Saturday night, and uh, and then it was boom, the bear clamp. Yep. Catholic priest. Hard to recover from that. And then she's she like, uh, uh. She's a bit shocked, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's another wild and crazy Saturday night here. Nothing going on except uh, some loon jazz to warm us up. Because what else do you need before an evening of podcasting than contemporary jazz accompanied by loons? I mean, the the richness of the loon jazz just keeps kind of uh, the refulgence just keeps being borne out. So. Refulgence is the right word. In yeah. case you're wondering what you're listening to, this is uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. It's a podcast, a J10 initiative. Um, we are attempting to proclaim the gospel to a world in desperate need for a word of hope. And here we are on a Saturday night offering to spend part of our time with you, That's our right. podcast family. That's right. We're coming uh, fresh off of, um, you know, Christmas season is a uh, crazy time, or the holiday season, I guess we, sh- we should say. Right? Yes, yeah, holiday. But, um, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a lightweight here, kind of JV squad, but uh, these guys who are pastors there, it's it's go time. Parish, and especially I, the question I always have is, how do you manage the insanity of the 4 p.m. Christmas Eve anticipatory mass? I, 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 that was, that was the first time I think I ever had a panic attack was the 4 p.m. Um, Christmas Eve mass at, uh, St. Francis Cabrini. And you were probably this, in the, in the church hall? In the church. No, we only do, oh no, we do do two. Um, uh, I was in the church. Yeah. And it was just, it was just packed and people are like rabid yeah. for this has got to be the most amazing event. Right. Because this is Christmas, and you right. better bring it. Right. And I have no idea what I preached on, and I was very scared. And then afterwards, after the 4 p.m. was over, I was so exhausted that I went back to my rectory, realized that I didn't um, that I didn't buy any Christmas dinner or prepare anything. So my Christmas dinner consisted of, remember? The first year? Yeah. How would I remember that? A quart of chocolate <laughs> milk and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> That was my first year as a priest, ladies and gentlemen. That is. Yeah, there's well, nothing. So that, was, that was different this year, huh? This is this is when I just sat there and I was like, where are you, Christmas? 
Why can't I find you? Literally, I went to the convenience store because everything was closed, and I bought a, a, a quart of chocolate milk and a pack of cigarettes. And I said, well, Merry Christmas. Yep. That was it. And then uh, Megan Lyons showed up with a... a Cannoli? T- no, she w- showed up with the, the leftovers of their seven fishes dinner. Uh, in a oh, yeah. in a Tupperware container after the APM mass, and I was so grateful that I actually like like was moved to tears because no one else had thought at all about asking if you know do you now a priest can't go to your house for dinner on Christmas right it's like I had the four o'clock the eight o'clock and then the ten o'clock so there's no time in between. So I I had I had nothing. I remember I called my mom and wished her a Merry Christmas and then I went back for the next mass because by the time you get done greeting all the people, it's it's time to go back. And at least one person, Megan, thought of me in the midst of all of it. So I just had this image of you in your old rectory, um just slamming chocolate milk in between masses, singing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Yeah. So I uh, I ate that pasta so greedily. It was like this buttery linguine with, uh, it was like olive oil and uh, garlic and uh, shrimp. I ate it so fast that I gave myself a food coma and I passed out. Like I didn't drink anything. I passed out from the sugar from the pasta because that was all I ate from four until 10 o'clock. Well, other than the chocolate milk. Um, and... Uh, which is a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> Just in general? Milk or? was a bad <laughs> choice when you're already feeling sick. Followed by linguine. And I fell asleep in my cassock, slunched over on the couch, and woke up at 6.45 just in time for the 8 o'clock mass at uh, Christmas Day. That is that is crazy. What a beautiful event. Yeah, it's uh, it's always... Um, yeah, it's a weird time for a priest. It's, it's, um, it's interesting not being a pastor because... Pastors actually don't want to uh, give up masses because you want to be you want to run through the yeah. blitz, the blitzkrieg with you because you have so much face time with people, their families. It's it's a huge right. huge uh, moment uh, for the parish every year, and so it's funny being a uh, a pastor. But this year I was helping out up at Sacred Heart of Mary and uh, saw some great people. Some of my old favorite Boulderites were floating around and. Uh, but I finished the APM mass and I uh, texted the Goble and because I was driving kind of through Arvada, mm-hmm. um, and I said, you know what, I'm going to drop in there and see if we have some dinner. And there was a bit of a miscommunication, bit as these things happen. But he started an eight o'clock mass the same time I started the eight o'clock mass, and you were out what forty five minutes earlier? Yeah, at least yeah, because an hour. Yeah, yeah. And you had time to get down to my rectory, which is 25 to 35 minutes away, and do what? Just went into the fridge. And what did I find? Mm-hmm. Because I was talking, it it's Andrew Polito's fault, actually, because I was like, I got to find, find a Wendy's or something here. I got to eat something. Um, and because uh, I had the, the last mass and then the earliest mass, and I'm extremely paranoid about sleeping through Christmas morning mass. I'll tell you that story in a second. Um, and so she's like, well, Goble will always have food, you know, and I was like, sweet. If anything, I'll, I'll eat craisins and, you know, pistachios. But I open the fridge, and what do I find? Leftovers. Filet mignon. Filet mignon. From our Christmas Eve dinner that I had, I had left over. 
<laughs> left over for me. It was a strange experience breaking into somebody's house when they're not home and eating True. their food yeah. and then leaving. I did the dishes. That was nice. <laughs> that was, that was the, yeah, you had to because it was uh, it was uh, the dishwasher was running. Who gave those jalapeno poppers? Those were great. Oh, crap. Why would you ask that? Sorry. Uh, it's Noah and Julia. Noah and Julie and their parents. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember their name. Um, he's a snowmobiler. Uh, great guy. Do I know him? No, no, no. They're okay. they're um, they're my parishioners. They gave us jalapeno poppers because Father Matt hates sweets around Christmas because right. we get so many of them. So every year he asks for vegetables. Last year he got a veggie tray. Somebody actually went to King Supers and got him a veggie tray. That shut him up. Right. Like I like their the uh, Joe and Gwen Wewo. Wewo. Uh, they make. Peanut brittle, toffee, and fudge every year. I ditch the fudge. No offense. Don't not, a, li- not a fudge guy. Not a fudgy. Okay. If I could find an alternative use for fudge, I would use you it. Would use it. Like, if can you melt that down and make it into hot chocolate? I have no idea. I bet you could. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try that this year, and that would be the only way I could reclaim fudge. No offense, Aunt Maria. Never liked fudge, but peanut brittle. One of my favorites. Joe Brown makes a great peanut brittle, and they make great toffee. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, so Father Matt says, don't get us sweets, get us vegetables. So they made jalapeno poppers, and they're amazing. They were amazing. The uh, kitchen counter on, in Schloss Goebbels on Christmas Day looked like a uh, looked like a huge Jenga set of sweets. It was just like stacked yeah. up on top of each other. I mean, you guys just get piled with this stuff. So I brought, I brought a number of them up for uh, Villa, and we ate some of them. But honestly, I was just happy to leave them up there. So that I don't have to deal with them when I get back. And thanks again to those of you who sent us extremely gigantic amounts of peanut butter pretzel bites because they those went those are gone. Father John was consuming the last one last oh, night, classic. And I went to go grab it from him out of his hand to eat it, and he knew it was coming. For those of you in Syracuse, New York, in, uh, who know my brother, you'll get a kick out of the story. Um, he. Uh, one of the great moments of my—I probably told this story. Great yeah. moments of my life. Okay, yeah. I mean, I it's ate a good the, one. I ate the last bite of the Snickers bar and stole it out of his hand. So I saw Goebel's eyes as I was pulling the last uh, pretzel bite out, and I was like, "He's going for it." But he's—you were—it's slow. You had done that workout that morning with uh, the boys, and yeah, the thighs were burning still from the air squat. That's a funny story. So then, didn't he save that Snickers for the very top of the mountain? Uh, no, we were in the parking lot still, but I was watching the way he was eating it because this is what brothers do, right? Yep. You just you have this sixth sense of like, how can I ruin his day? How can I? <laughs> right? Yeah. So I uh, I enjoyed the uh, leftovers and then promptly left, and then Goble called me and it was rather uneventful and you know. No, it was fine. He, he but you he, had you had the early mass and I had the early mass. And again, by then he was down at his house. He was down at his house pulling into his parking lot. I was at mine. He poured himself a drink. I could hear the ice clinking, and uh, I poured myself a drink, and we that shared it. We, shared we, it. we had a 20-minute conversation. It was, it was great. Nice. It was nice. I set four alarms that night for an 8.30 mass. Yeah, okay. and then I made fun of you that you were going to oversleep. Right. Well, you got to tell the story now. Right. So three years ago? Was it three years ago? I thought it was two. It might have been two years ago. This is one of the worst moments of my life. It was two I, um, years ago because it was uh, still Monsignor... Uh, uh, McDade. McDade. I uh, I um, was staying at Our Lady Lords with Father Brian Larkin, and um, 
Khan celebrated the midnight mass, which I believe was at midnight. I don't know if he does that anymore, but it was midnight. So it ends at whatever, two. We have a drink. We stay up and talk. Maybe it's three o'clock. We go to bed. 7.30 a.m. mass. No problem, right? Set the alarm. Brian comes, wakes me up. John, it's 8.30. And I was like, what? Slept right through Christmas morning mass. And I called Monsignor McDade, and he was an angel of mercy, which was actually interesting because he was a missionary of mercy from the Pope. Remember when the, the, yeah, the I year remember of that. mercy? He I, think was actually, was, I think it was that year. Oh my, it was that year. And he was so gracious because I wanted to die. I just, I had never slept through a mass and the thought of sleeping through Christmas morning mass was like, you're the worst person. You're, you're literally the worst priest, priest in the universe. And uh, he was so, it was, it was a amazing experience of, of mercy, of getting what I did not deserve. The, uh, then the next morning I had mass there at the parish and uh, it was the same crowd because it's like the 8 a.m. mass sure. crowd. And they, they were literally hissing at me like, yes. as I was processing in because they knew this Han Yax slept through. Slept through. Slept through the mass. His like liquor. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a word to young guys in seminary, just set that extra alarm. A word if to the have, wise if you, if is sufficient. Uh, yeah, if you're uh, doing the morning mass. So anyways, we got up, made it to the 8.30 mass on uh, Christmas morning. It was great. Had a little WrestleMania with the guys. It always gets crazy. We play, what's the theme song for? Uh, John Cena. John Cena, my nephews. We had a new Logan. intern. Yeah, we had a new new uh, competitor. Logan in- Stucker, you know, uh, jumped in. He's at that age where he doesn't know how to fight yet, but he... Yeah, but he likes you, running into people. If, if you prompt him, he'll, you know, so... He did. He pinned me, though. I think it was Grant that pinned me, right? We had new rules this time. One of them was uh, no eye poking. That was two years ago. No, two years ago. The first rule was every year the boys learn a rule. Yeah. The first was no neck stomping. Neck stomping, right. No neck stomping. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because they were literally like like curb stomping our necks. <laughs> like these little feet coming out of everywhere you're like <laughs> strangling to death yeah so that was the first one. Second year was i think no eye eye gouging no. <laughs> third year was uh no uh pulling of skin no pulling of the skin that was this year's <laughs> christmas lesson so so we're learning slowly kind of what are the rules yeah the other problem with uh i didn't tell you this before but wrestlemania this is with my nephews by the way what we're talking about who are little guys but they're they're going to be i mean we got like three years until they start like honestly whipping us you know? Oh no, no, we got time. I got, I got a lot of weight on that kid. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, clo- I know I'm gonna clothesline Micah at some point, <laughs> and I'm gonna say it was an accident, but it's not going to be. The uh, he's got that look about him. We introduce certain like, like you can fight with objects, you know, because my mm-hmm. dad, my dad has kind of a little workout setup downstairs, yeah. so it's like the foam roller yeah and uh you know they're picking up little chairs and i'm like it's best to fight with your body guys and then if you need you go for the right uh, piece but you know you want to really fight with fight with your arms and yeah because that we got a bit distracted this year throwing like kind of like uh like a fire truck came in at one point and jackson had like, to learn jackson had to take off his glasses which is good. It's a, it's a good a good play. The problem is when Father Nathan takes off his glasses, it's actually really dangerous <laughs> because I can't see. So I almost decked uh, Logan Stuckey. And I was like, I felt really bad about that. Yeah. So they beat us. We lost again. We seem to lose every year. But we learned a valuable lesson. This I year. put. It was no pulling of the skin. I did put. I did put <laughs> Micah in the in the sharpshooter. Uh, the uh, what, what was Brett the Hitman Hart? 
uh, his the New England. No, that's the that's the Boston Crab. Boston Crab. The Boston Crab. I did do that's that. That's one on of your the... signature moves. Yeah, I love that move. <laughs> There's that literally doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> I learned all these things because I would I would uh, wrestle with Charlie Wheeler and uh, uh, we would do all these things and then we had our families had kids at the same time. So Brad and Brad Wheeler and William, my little brother, are the same age. So we would do WrestleMania with them, like doing all these moves. So yep. Anywho, well, I want to no, no, real quick though. You got to finish the finish. The, so WrestleMania is happening in the basement, and you're wearing a flannel. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. So like, I wrestle. I, I I forgot we were doing WrestleMania. I didn't wear like. You got to remember, we've been eating for like four hours at this point. Yeah, and then it's time to do. WrestleMania. I have consumed. I like it was. I was a killer whale whenever I went in there because I hadn't eaten anything that day, and I get into your mom's house, and there are like six shrimp left. And it was like an orca just shoving shrimp in my mouth as fast as I could. And then your dear sweet Ann Carol Ann is like, she's like asking me questions and everything. And I'm just shoving shrimp in my mouth as fast as I can. Anyway, so we finish eating. The kids, I thought the kids were then going to take a nap and then we were going to do it. Instead, they took a nap while we were eating. And then maybe 30 minutes after we get done eating, it's time for WrestleMania. So I'm in a flannel. And uh, that's fine. Like, everybody made comments like, oh, are you going to fell another tree or whatever? And I'm like, whatever. I like this shirt. Anyways, so then we get downstairs. We do a full WrestleMania. Grant and what, what's his name? Shaylin. Shaylin. They're watching. They're watching their son, like, in this vortex of, of like, you know, battering rams and, like, <laughs> you know, crazy WWF moves. Anyways, so then we get done. It's time to say goodbye. John had put a hard stop at 5 o'clock, which I was like, there's no way in heck we're getting on air at 5 o'clock. Well, he starts saying goodbyes at 5, probably 15 minutes after we finish. No, five minutes after we finish WrestleMania. And I am sweating like a horse, okay? One, I'm obese. Two, I'm out of shape. Some obese people are in shape. I'm not. Three, I'm wearing a flannel. Four, I am stuffed full of honey-baked ham and shrimp. And then Grant, uh, who uh, is a great guy, former football player, super cool dude, um, he goes in to give me the bro hug, and I he touches his face to mine, and it's literally just a continuous stream of sweat that just like... Oh, like right off my face onto his onto his face and he's like yeah thanks for coming man and as as he's talking he just like casually wipes his face i was like oh, man i feel really bad about that yeah so grant if if any bodily fluids were transferred there <laughs> i promise you i got a clean slate there you go so that was great wrestlemania another loss Can we get chalked a, up for us all right I, I'm, I know this is long but i just want to get the podcast's feedback okay so father john's not a board game player doesn't like the board games maybe he'll play one every once in a while he'll pretend to like it he'll pretend to be competitive but he sucks it's but true the rest of us really like the board games father Eusterman, father book and the the viper father brady wagner who like just sits there like all sweet and nice and then he'll just beat everybody but I'm playing Ticket to Ride Europe. Oh, Ticket to Ride are we doing this? Europe. Are we okay? Doing this? this isn't like Junior Kids version. This is Europe, right? Stations, tunnels, like it's about to go down. So Battle Royale, um, Father Matt uh, puts down the six train 
with the two engines right away. And Father Matt's he's the board gamer of the crew. He's the, he's a big board gamer, okay? He likes to win at the board games. So he does the six train with the two engines, and, and he get, puts it down right away. Now, I was one turn away from being able to do that, and I should have done it the previous turn, but I was stupid because I was building for the long, long train, which is the eight train, and you got to build a tunnel to get it. Classic, but I got that one. Classic so, rookie mistake. Classic rookie mistake, but we're getting there. Right. Anyways, so I'm feeling good about my chances. I'm going Copenhagen to like someplace way down in Greece, and I got Kochi to Vienna, I still feel good about that. I'm able to kind of snake my route. I've not had any problems except for one guy put a station right where I needed to go, which meant that I needed to zigzag a little bit, but no problems. So then I'm feeling great about how I ended the game. I was the one that went out. Um, I had completed both of my tickets, and uh, I that was it. So we total up the points, and... Father Matt ends up winning by six points. Now, I'm saying to myself, I have literally one continuous train with maybe one or two, you know, separated points. He did one, uh, one, he got the long train and he got uh, one extra route, but it was only seven points, which should have been a moot point because I got the 21-pointer and he got the 15-pointer and I got another 15-pointer, so that should have been negated. So I'm saying to myself, I'm looking at this board, I'm saying, how did I lose this game? Pause. While he's saying this to himself, everybody has left the table, right? Yep. You're sitting there staring at the table. Staring at and the I table. And I was like, there's something going down here because Goble is not, he's not walking away from the table. Not walking away. So then I said to myself, how did I lose this thing, right? And all of a sudden, I said, I should count my trains. So I count my trains, and I have 48 trains. And then I look at the rule book. You're only supposed to get 45 trains. 48 trains is because somebody had mixed in the, the three extra that the Days of Wonder people mix in, which they should freaking label these things. But then I had three extra trains in order to go out, or else I would have been able to go out two or three or possibly four turns beforehand. Right. And I'm like, this is a negated game. And then Father Matt got really upset because he's in like, "In your face, are you trying to yeah. are you trying to take it, away my win?" Yeah, and I said, that's "Nope." When it got crazy. I said, "Nope." I said, "But we didn't play the game the right way." Yep. And so, as a classic middle child, what did you do? I was delighted that it meant that I didn't actually lose. Right. So you were able to sabotage his victory. Yep. And gain nothing for yourself. Yes. Which is what you live for. I did. As a middle child. If only I could have gotten that peanut butter pretzel, it would have been the perfect night. I know. You were just a bit too slow on the uptake. <sighs> to the topic. To the topic, because actually today we're, we're going to talk in a way about uh, uh, unhealthy unhealthy ways of living. Oh. One of them is uh, extreme competition, that we see everybody in competition. But... Um, in part, I want to I want to talk about this this thought I had while reading John Vanier's book, Becoming Human. Father John hasn't read this book yet, but it is on his list. It's on my shelf. Actually. It's on his shelf, yeah, which coming. usually means it's going to get digested quickly. Quickly, hopefully. Okay, kind of like mango, kind of like dried mango dried at the old Schloss Goebbels house. And those, and it's what not the by other, me. The, what the cran not the cranberries. What was the Craisins. other? Craisins. No, the other thing that just got absorbed. Oh, currants. Currants. They ate a whole box of currants in one day. 
one day. <laughs> like we're talking it, about the other priests who live here. Yeah, it's amazing how th- th- things just disappear. I feel I feel like a parent of a teenager <laughs> because like sometimes my parents would come home and they would buy something and I think they thought it would last for a whole week and it lasts for like three hours and it's like. <laughs> How did you go through a whole like carton of canned tomatoes? And it's like, eh, we decided to make nachos. Right. It's like, with what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. There was some Velveeta and it got crazy. Currents. So, um, Jean Vanier. Have we talked? We've done Jean Vanier before, haven't I we? I don't think we have. Um, so, um, young man enters the Navy, um, eventually comes into an encounter with this priest. Um, and deci- in, Fran- in, France. in France, in France, and uh, it, this priest kind of becomes a spiritual director, you know, and helps him kind of overcome some of the ways in which he was living his life. Which I don't, I don't remember if if we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about it uh, in this in this passage. Um, but he helps him uh, overcome some of his uh, difficulties in his spiritual life as well as his human life, and eventually uh, he founds a community of persons who are living together in community with special needs. So uh, people with special needs and people who don't have special needs are living together in a common life, sharing meals, prayer, uh, leisure, um, and just life. And it eventually grows into one of the most successful uh, religious foundations. I wouldn't say religious communities, but uh, persons who are attempting to live a religious life. They, they're they bound in some kind of uh, fellowship centered around the gospel, namely L'Arche, um, which is, an, as it says, an international network of communities for people with intellectual dis- disabilities. Uh, this book was my constant companion on my uh, silent retreat. I would eat uh, different corned beef hashes, and I would read one chapter, and it was one of the most delightful series of mornings I've had. Shout out to Liberty Cafe in Mundelein, Illinois, for having the top uh, corned beef hash that I've had in quite some time. Which I will say is, that's a substantial accolade because you order corned beef hash everywhere. Everywhere, and, and I'm always, always, always miserable. Always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's they, they did a nice job. There was another place that looked really promising, so promising, in fact, that I biked there in... 15 degree weather with wind chill 15 degree weather biked there and was like super excited for it garbage you might as well take taken a a, a a pound of chipped beef and put it in a dog's mouth <laughs> and said oh this is delicious right garbage liberty cafe check it out all right so we're gonna do a little jean vanier um, and then uh, I'm going to talk about my insight uh, based on that, which uh, I think came from this chapter, uh, this section of a chapter. So um, the book is called Becoming Human, chapters from exclusion to inclusion, page 78, fear of failure. Here we go. This is Jean Vanier. So I called it the twin tumors. The fear of failure, of feeling helpless and unable to cope, have been built up in me ever since my childhood. This is Jean Bonnier. I had to be a success. I had to prove my worth. I had to be right. 
This need to succeed and to be accepted, even admired by my parents and by those whom I considered my superiors, was a strong motivating force in me and is a motivation at the heart of many of my human endeavors. The urge to please and to succeed is obviously a valuable motivation, but it has its flip side. Not everyone can succeed at the same entrance exam. Many must fail. And failure can and does break people. This need to succeed, coupled with the fear of failure and the fear of being rejected and of falling into loneliness and anguish, can make us choose to relate only to those who like and admire us, those who look on us as winners. And of course, we recognize others playing the same game. People with intellectual disabilities, however, seem so different, as if they were in another world. It seems impossible to communicate easily with them. We can feel totally helpless in front of them. Fear of failure, of not coping with a situation, of not being able to relate to another person, is at the heart of this fear of the different, the strange, the stranger. It is as if we are walking in unknown territory. So we talked, um, end quote, so we talked a few weeks ago about uh, sort of the, the the twin tumors of self-reliance and self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. And I think I the, the, the insight that I had, and this was at Corned Beef Hash, I think number three, uh. when I went back to Liberty Cafe just to get uh, it again. Uh. So I biked back there three days later. Um, I said... Honestly, I think there's two poles of existence that people can live in. And I don't want to say that one pole is both are bad and you have to live in the middle. So if pole is the wrong word, I, I want I, two alternatives. One is scrupulosity. And the other is gratitude. And I would say that what I found with people who are in competition, they, they have some form of scrupulosity. Because they need to get everything right. You've got to get 100%. If you don't get 100%, it's not good enough. It's like me as a kid showing my report card to my dad's boss, and he said, I only pay dollars for A's, not A minuses. So I only got $3 instead of like $5. And I was like, I will never get another A minus. And ever since then, ever since I got an A minus, I'd be like, I'm a failure. I could have gotten an A. And I think that's some form of scrupulosity. Yeah, it's interesting to think like that because we oftentimes think of scrupulosity as just within the kind of the ambit of the religious sphere instead of as a human kind of mode, mm-hmm. you know, that everything, grades, performances. The way um, that I make drinks, the, yeah, the way that I present myself, the right. way I look, the way the, the, the way my car smells, right. you know, everything's got to be exactly on point. Right, so scrupulosity is not just, I'm scrupulous about going to hell or about mortal sin, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of one dimension. There's, there's, th- this is something that can kind of permeate the entirety of human existence in the, as a way of thinking. You got to be a winner. Right. You got to be a winner. And we were talking about this on the way home. I suffer, and one of our podcast listeners, who's a friend of ours, I won't tell you who until we get off the air, pointed this out, and and unbeknownst to him, I was already kind of thinking about this through Jean Vanier, through my own retreat, through my own kind of prayer. He's like, you got to break out of the mold of competition. Yeah. You cannot live the rest of your life as you're up and others are down, or you're winning and other people are losing. It's not going to help you. And that's very difficult. Yeah. And 
as much as I would like to admit that I don't care about ratings and I don't care about whatever, there are times where I just want to be better than certain people. Right. Don't want to say who. I just want to be better. And it's not good. And it's right. not catching foxes because I know you guys are great. You're just not as good as me. And I love you guys. <laughs> I love you guys. But but that's the, that's the hard part. Luke actually listens to this. Luke, I Carey, know he we does. Love you. Okay. Um, this is actually Gomer listens to a lot of lot of uh, Joyce Meyer, but yeah, right. Um, I don't want to derail this, but this is interesting that you're bringing this up because what have we been talking about the last few days with all the boys? Strava, Strava, the favorite kind of whipping child of yes. competition, and, and the question that was yes. asked: we all get together and then we. We spend the first two days kind of solving all the world's problems and the church's problems. Sure, yeah. The first day was like church's problems. Church's problems. Once we get that all figured out, and then we've, we've figured everything out, then we move into our own problems, which we never seem to be able to figure out. Yeah. And one of them was, you know, the majority of our guys in, in the Companions are into cycling. This just happened in the last few years. Uh, so we have this kind of shared hobby. So being the choleric social engineer that I am I just said let's let's start a Strava club and let's just kind of like let's just play this thing out you know I'll set right. the rules and then we'll kind of just see I'll what set the rules and you know okay, bend so them gonna... as I see fit to ensure that I have a healthy chance of winning right I'm gonna make sure I get that last peanut butter pretzel bite and then everything's fine. right and so the question was and this was a legitimate question posed uh that led to a lot of hours of conversation which were really interesting was is competition healthy for our brotherhood is this something that's good because you got guys cussing each other out over the uh seven wonders and ticket to ride game true you got guys who are still pissed off about the summer about who won biking and who can who can go up look out mountain the fastest sure and but the other side of it is there's something good here and so the question becomes uh what is is just the spirit of comp- competition just in ge- in general just problematic, or is there something good? And then there's also kind of this dark side as well. Can I allow uh, you? Obviously, have a quote in your. Can book. I allow John Vanier because he's he is very against the culture of competition, especially for people with intellectual disabilities. So I mean, and it's just helpful because there are things to learn in being in a community where competition is not necessarily part of daily life. So he says, becoming human may, may, be, may seem a strange title. Aren't we already human? How can we become what we already are? Like all animals, we are conceived, born, grow, give birth to others, and we die. What then is different? We humans are conscious of our growth from the nakedness of birth to the nakedness of death. And we are conscious of the freedom we have to orient our lives in one direction or another. This freedom can lead us into anguish and a fear of becoming or it can lead us into growth and new life. So human beings are in continual evolution. Every generation wants to achieve more than the preceding one. We are in a culture of competition. The strong, the beautiful, the intelligent, and the capable are magnified and extolled. The weak and the vulnerable are often put aside. Our world is characterized by the huge gap between the rich and the poor, the oppressors and the oppressed, and by continual horrible conflicts between national, ethnic, and religious groups. So to become human implies two realities. It means to be someone, to have cultivated our gifts, and also to be open to others, to look at them not with a feeling of superiority, but with the eyes of respect. 
that's where I think, not to just make it about Strava, but where we, on our, in our best moments during the cycling competition, it was about allowing others to flourish instead of me to dominate. Right. And that's where ultimately, like, I think that something like the tool of Strava has its place and it can be used in a competitive spirit that's ultimately about domination and not about allowing you and me to flourish. Right. Which is, I think, what you were saying last night. Right. Which is to say that um, I remember having a conversation with Molly and Weston Kishnick. You know them? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. always call them Kishnick. Uh, Kirschnick, but it's Kishnick. He's a football coach at Chatfield, and uh, he said you should do a podcast on. Um, and they don't listen; they have their own podcast. But they, they, uh, he says um, they do their own podcast. Yeah, he's they're educators. You know, they're in they're in that world. It's a different world than ours. It's a different world. It's a different world. He actually sells books, unlike me. I guess to get mine published, but it's not going to sell dozens of copies, as a friend of mine once said. But um, wow. He said you should do a podcast on team sports and the importance of um, competition in forming, you know, young men and women. And it's like, well, because we can be honest, it's pretty different. You know, when you get a bunch of guys, we're this weird strata of the last of the Gen Xers and the first of the millennials right now. We got new boys coming down the pike, but it's like. We grew up in a time that was like intense team sport, and if you didn't, if you weren't in that world, it's it's very hard to understand the the way that competition plays in. And I honestly think that if you didn't have that, and I, and again, if you if you're if you're intellectually incapable of competition, which is good and bad, right? Like where you just don't you don't assess yourself based on other people, like, sure. like Vanier is talking about. That, that is a gift, and that's kind of a prophetic testimony against us. But I don't think he's saying everybody should be like that. Nobody should ever think about competition. You should never – there's never any sense. It's like, is it just intrinsically – this was the, the, the no, million-dollar question. I think he's actually saying that. Is, is Strava intrinsically narcissistic? I think he's actually saying – I think he's actually saying you can't live in competition. Because what I gleaned from this is this is scrupulosity. I'm not saying scrupulosity is the same thing as a competitive spirit, but the need to be perfect in whatever that is, this is these are the marks of a life of scrupulosity based on I got to get 100%. Right. Whatever that is, academically, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever, 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 wherever you find yourself, this is scrupulosity to me in, in kind of uh, in seed form. It's all about me. I'm bad if I don't do it right. I didn't do it right. It's my effort. Right. It's about me. Right. And the difference, the different proposal that I think that John Vanier is is offering is the the life that is not about my effort, but actually about what I've received is a life of gratitude. Okay. This is the marks, these are the marks of gratitude, which are very interesting when paralleled to the the kind of seed form of scrupulosity. Gratitude, as opposed to it's all about me, says you are so good. God is so good. And also like other persons. Like I'm grateful to to share life with you and to hear like your perspective and whatever. As opposed to I'm bad, the the grat the, the the person of gratitude says, I'm thankful. I'm I'm happy that I'm in 
relationship. As opposed to, I didn't do it right, the person of gratitude says, it's about providence. It's what I've received. My gifts are things that I didn't create for myself. I actually received them. Even my ability to grow in my gifts is not necessarily something that I, I do on my own, but rather I receive that from someone else. And last, my effort of scrupulosity is actually, um, is actually countered with grace. Grace is my effort will never reach where I want to be. Grace actually allows me to enjoy all of these things. It is a, it is a total grace that I have legs. Total grace that I'm able to move those legs in a, in a coordinated way. Total grace. A little slower today after those air squats. Exactly. I only did 50. Right. Larkin rocked 100 how'd in you, the same time it took me to do 50. How'd you feel about that? You want to talk? You want to talk about that? No, actually, I was grateful. I was grateful that I did mine. Right. So let's let's shift from Strava for a second and go back to our board game. I loved. We have we had some young guys, uh, the Deacons and uh, Sean Conroy and Third Theology were with us last night. They came up for the last night of Villa. I loved that they saw you completely explode in anger when you realized that you should have won the game, and then pr- promptly get over it. Yeah, yeah. But that to me said that that's taken that's, years. I know, I know. That's taken years. But I was like, that was so much better than the Pollyanna BS of like that was a good game. Great job. Great job. Congratulations. Yeah, right. Because we were talking about, and this is another completely different topic. I don't want to take us off the rails, but we were talking this morning about cynicism in seminary. And I said, a lot of times where cynicism is born from is the Pollyanna self-reliance that says everything right and pretends like competition doesn't exist. I'm above that. I say everything right. I'm going to be totally composed. It's Galassenheit. Sure. Right? And that's not what we're saying. It's good for them to see you frankly drop an f-bomb on book sorry to just make that confession but and just and then and then book get kind of in your face about it and then it just blows over and it was fun and then i have to say good game and you got to say good game and you got to shake his hand and that's why hockey is the greatest sport ever created because you shake their hand at the end of the game that's right right i agree with that that in basketball so that's another topic but and katie that's why your son should play hockey my nephews but i would agree with that right jackson So, so i'm just i'm not ready to forfeit competition completely though we can we can certainly renounce the competitive spirit in a way right but i think i think you can i think you can be competitive and then at the end just say hey we played we played a great game i i and like honestly like and not just be like hey good job you know but like ah you did awesome right like that that move that you made to actually win that that was impressive right you know and be angry You'd be angry and desirous of I want to overcome certain limitations, but not without without it becoming once I've conquered these limitations, nothing will stop me. Right. I will I will I will stop at nothing right. to conquer every single person. What are we gonna do tonight? Right. You know whatever his name is, Brain. What are we gonna do tonight, Brain? Conquer the world. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Right. You know? And that's where I feel like for a lot of people, they're living in their relationship with God, in their relationship with possibly their spouse or their friends or coworkers in this realm of I've got to win. Right. And in order for me to win, it's not about you. Scrupulosity isn't really about you. 
It's about me. I need to do my best. Once I've done my best, well then, I mean, forget about anybody else. I did everything that I needed to do in order to be my best. And gratitude it will take any moment. An interrupted phone call, like while you're in the middle of uh, this board game, and then you're like, hey, thanks for calling. Oh my gosh, we're sitting here playing this game. Can I call you back later? Like, instead of like, why are you calling right now? I've, I'm doing something really important. Right. Like, here's a moment. I was a sacristan at University of Illinois. I wanted to, I wanted to out maneuver Tom Byrne, Father Tom Byrne. Father Tom Byrne, he's a priest of Chicago. Total loser, okay? <laughs> um, and Father Tom Byrne was, was kind of budding head sacristan. He wasn't head sacristan at that time. It was this terror named Mary, sweet girl, but like she wanted everything just so. And Tom wanted to fulfill everything that Mary wanted, even though he pretended like he didn't because he wanted to be head sacristan. And frankly, I was like, if I was going to be there next year, I would be head sacristan because I'm a politician and I know that I could beat Tom in a runoff. But I, the, we had the Cardinal in town, Cardinal George. And it, this was a big, a big moment. The Cardinal of Chicago's in town. This has got to be a perfect mass perfect mass i'm in charge of i don't know three things and i'm going to make sure they go off perfectly my sister walks up to me right before the mass and she says do you want to take a picture with the family and i say to her we don't even have time for that <laughs> and i walk away because i had to play a perfect game right and if she was going to take me off my perfect game it it, it didn't even matter right first year of priesthood you wanted everything to be everything perfect, perfect yeah. everything perfect yeah why didn't they bring the water when they were supposed to? It would have looked perfect for me to, you know, release the sins off my fingers as, as you know, all the people wept as that offertory song culminated by, by Tyler, whatever his name is, from Cabrini. Right. Tracy. Loser. Not him. Me. Yeah. It was about me. Right. And now it's like there are moments that I'm like, oh, my God, they remembered to bring the water. Thanks be to God. Right. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to play a perfect game every time. So, what does Jean Vanier have to say? That was a good example. And this is a bit of a moving on now. What does he have to say if I'm a 40 year old guy with like a, I don't know, 15 year old son mm -hmm. who's playing hockey in Chicago? Sure. And he is. He's got the competitive spirit, but he's growing as a man. And what is he correcting here spiritually? Mm -hmm. That because he's saying something real. But he's saying he's not saying don't don't sign your kids up for sports. No, he's I not saying that. That's not a problem, right? So what is he saying to the typical suburban American family who are probably over obsessed uh, with their kids' athletics or I don't know oboe playing or drama oh, yeah. or whatever your your activity is? Because frankly, this is what happened to my family: is that we got completely completely distracted from anything remotely spiritual because we were obsessed with. John's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky. No, he's not. But somebody told him that. Somebody told my parents that at some point. Now my parents never believed that because I, I couldn't. I wasn't scoring. All they right, thought you were going to be the next like Ray Bork. I wish. Not even possible. Right. So, but what what does he have to what what is the what's the point you want to bring home here to the typical kind of suburban family yeah, doing their thing? That's a great question. Where their kids are, are right. Their kids are enslaved to that same fear of failure. I'd ask my son. Uh, can you can you recite uh, the act of contrition by memory? And if not, you're a loser. I tell him that. 
you're a freaking loser. And I'd challenge him, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this together. We're going to learn it together because I don't know it either. I didn't learn the act of contrition until I was 34 years old starting to hear confessions. But you know what? Parents need to challenge their kids in things other than physical exertion. Right. And, and, and even academic prowess. Sometimes their parents are like, oh, yeah, yeah, like they, they're third in their class. And like the other kids are first and second, but they're in an unweighted GPA. If you would do a weighted <laughs> GPA, my Where son. Where were you? You told me that story today. Oh, total losers. I was at Einstein Bagels. I was at Einstein Bagels. I think I told this in the podcast before, but then Are you the ordering late... blueberry bagel? No. Oh man, they've got a. They've don't got even a... don't even say cinnamon sugar. No. Okay. Potato hash brown. Oh jeez. They've got a. They've got a hash brown cheesy hash brown bagel that they put like turkey and cheese on. Amazing. Okay. Continue. Anywho, I'm getting that, and they're they they had just finished this soccer tournament, and this lady's behind me. And she's waiting for her meal, and she's just like, "Hey, how many goals? How many goals did you score today?" And her daughter's, who's like probably twelve or whatever, and she's like, "I don't know, like three. And she's like, "You scored six. You scored six goals." And then she's like, "I don't know. I I thought like Janice scored a couple goals." She's like, "Janice, Janice doesn't score goals. You score goals." By the way, stop passing her. She's no good, anyways. And I'm like, literally, lady, like you are paying her counseling bills for the right. next thirty years, right. whatever. Now, I'm not saying that parents need to call their kids losers, right. okay? There's there's psychologists out there right now that are going to write me up. But I think challenging your kids in the spiritual life would be a healthy thing. I think challenging your kids to make their bed is a healthy thing. Or your friends. Or your friends. <laughs> Father John. Okay, so Father John and I. Father John and I shared a room this week. Thanks be to God, we are in twin beds, separated, and uh, Father John makes his bed every morning. And it made me, it inspired me to say, you know what, the room looks a lot better if both beds are made. So I made my bed. I know, I know. Except last day, I, I was looking for all my stuff, and I just threw my sheets in a big wad, and I like threw them down. And I was like, he's going to be mad because it's not going to look ordered. What did you find in your bed last night, though? Oh, that was so funny. So we get up. We were watching Stranger Things, which honestly, you have to be 18 to 25 to watch Stranger Things. Do not let your 12 to 15-year-old son or daughter watch Stranger Things. There's too much like inappropriate sexual content. I'm not a big fan of young kids watching this show. However, if you're older, I think it's, I think it's fine. Please, marriage, family life, etc. But we're on like episode six. <laughs> We, we had a great time. It was a great episode. I go up to my room. I, I went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth, come back to my room, and there's a big lump in my bed. And I'm like, what is this thing? So I throw my water bottle at it, and it goes, dunk. And I was like, okay, it's not alive. So then I, I take it off, and they put a horse head in my bed. It was a wood horse head, but it was a horse head. And I just go, ah, 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 ah. But great idea, nobody was around to like hear me do it, which was the perfect setup, and I was really proud of them. It was great. Father Greg Peterson, that was his idea. So, okay, you got kids. You got kids that are competitive, and they have talent, and they're going to do all those things. Awesome. Challenge them in that. Encourage them in that. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only reality. And sometimes these parents get fixated on, you've got to be the best. 
What is it? It's all about you. If you don't do it, you're bad. You didn't do it right. It's about your effort. Right. As opposed to, now I'm not saying make these kids into Montessori thumb suckers. <laughs> you are so good. Namely, orient them to other people. Allow them to be a teammate that cares about people. Ryan O'Reilly right now, the St. Louis Blues, is not the main goal scorer. Right. He's number one in assists. That's amazing. He's a great he's a great competitor. We never should have traded him from the Avalanche, but that's another topic. Nor should the Sabres. <laughs> Thank you, Dan Sobacall. <laughs> but if yeah, you no, if no, you just yeah. train your kids in you're gonna be the best, don't pass to anybody, win at all cost, then it's about your effort and Providence doesn't play into any of it and Grace doesn't play into any of it. Yeah. I was uh this is a bit personal here, but I think that what we're trying to say is that on a natural level, your kids can be sleek and strong and they can be in their prime, but don't idolize that youth, that talent, that that drive to perfection um, because it has to be complemented, not just complemented, but it has to be kind of um, undergirded by the, the paradox of the Christian faith, which is that it's all built on the failure of Christ right yeah. everything is built on the failure of christ yeah. and that, that god himself assumed weakness because without that it's just we're all trying to be ubermensches and it's like right. we'll put it on strava or we'll be the greatest um i don't know ticket to ride player in the universe or whatever it is oh, we're yeah all, we're all going to kind of find our niche and then become the most amazing person at it or and if we're not then we'll just kind of isolate it and just obsess over our own self-growth and i i love peloton thanks to my family who um, lets me share in their subscription, but um, Christian Vandeveld, who's probably a noble pagan, I don't know anything about him, but he's from Chicagoland. And uh, but when he leads the the biking class, you know, on Peloton, mm-hmm. he says, "Do not look at the leaderboard because they they put everybody on the same leaderboard, you know. And here's your power outage, and here's your cadence, and here's your everything, you know. And he says, don't look at that. Just do not. And I love that he constantly says, hmm. don't look at the leaderboard because that spirit of comparison is going to actually destroy you. Right. And so anyways, that's just a, a small natural thing. But the deep, the deeper reality is that the Christian paradox, and this is what Nietzsche had so much of a problem with, is that Christ inverts the entire thing. It's because the modern American sports obsession and culture looks a lot like antiquity. It looks like Greek, yeah. the Olympians, right? Right. But the, the paradox of Christ and the, the kind of flipping everything on its head is the only answer to say you're poor and you're and you're weak. And if I can just continue for one more minute, I was, and, and this is kind of personal, but I was extremely moved at one of my masses where there was three siblings who served. And one of the kids, he didn't, he wouldn't talk to me at the beginning of mass. And I was like, well, that was weird. He wouldn't. But the kids were just different. They were just like deeply kind of present and attentive and they were really good servers. But the one brother had um, cochlear implant, and he had a deformity in his arm, so he couldn't hold. And there were certain times in the mass where they couldn't, he couldn't do things, and mm. the siblings were so attentive to him uh, to help him, and they did a beautiful job serving the mass. But I was so struck by the fact that um, he is sustained by them, but he also is the key for these other children to live differently. Right. And for our friends who have children who are who have uh, disabilities, the, the, the other kids just grow up different because they're, 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 they just get back in touch with this deeply 
this, this deep reality which Christ expresses fully in his cross, uh, which is the power of weakness and poverty and the yeah. beauty of it in the mind of God, which is beneath all of this and all of our drive towards the heights, our drive towards perfection, our drive towards whatever it might be, becoming gods. And they, they just, yeah. they crack the whole system. Yeah. And that happens in the life of these kids. Right. And, and that that that's a that's an amazing uh, gift and and something that we have to just reverence when we see, right? And it doesn't mean that because they have a sibling with intellectual or physical disabilities that they're not able to become more of what they could be. Jordan Spieth has a sibling, a sister with uh, mental and possibly even physical disabilities, and it's actually shaped the way in which he he approaches the game of golf. There's a reason why I wish that Jordan Spieth could beat the crap out of Tiger Woods. He won't because there is a way in which self-mastery and self-discipline and becoming a god is its own reward. And Tiger Woods has received his reward. Jordan Spieth is an amazing golfer was on a meteoric rise. He's kind of approached a point where he's not as successful as many people labeled him as as the next, you know, tiger. He will always be a winner and always be successful in as much as he remains in relationship with his sibling. When we watch these ESPN videos where they put the kid in with Down syndrome and they're able to score a touchdown or they're able to score a goal, there's a reason why our hearts are actually moved by that more so than oh this kid made the game winning shot from you know uh 80 yards away congratulations it's great and the 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 glory of sports is that you you can actually experience that but at the same time when you allow somebody else to succeed and you support them in that there's a real joy in even more so than your own self mastery this summer Poor Father Joseph and Father Jason had to watch me labor up uh, Lookout Mountain. It was long and probably the slowest possible time that they'd ever seen. But there was real joy at the top, right? except for the fact that Jason still wanted to go on. And I was like, no, no, no. We went and we won. And now all of a sudden you want me to do more. And then he biked me up into Genesee. And then I started cussing him out. And then I biked downhill all the way to Golden. And it was amazing. Yeah. And I think the uh, I I have some seminarians who I said we're going to read Jean Vanier together, and part of it is because I know the angelism and the self reliance and the temptation that you have because I live that, and we're going to work through this together. It's scrupulosity. Yeah. It's it's I'm going to create, a, and I'm not saying this about the seminarians, right. but I've encountered it in seminarians, and I've encountered it in seminary in myself that one. I'm going to become a spiritual master. I'm going to get to the fifth mansion by 30 years old, and I'm going to be the best priest ever. Nope. Second, I'm going to have the perfect GPA. I'm going to outperform everybody else in all these tests. I'm going to be the smartest guy, and everybody's going to say, wow, you got summa cum laude. You're an awesome priest. Yep. Doesn't help. Third, uh, I'm going to master every virtue. Okay, I didn't actually try that one. (laughs) 
But uh, you had us. You had us. Yeah, I had you. For yeah, a second. I, mean, I was like, whoa. Pastorally, eh, I thought I was going to do it my own way. I thought it'd be really popular. I thought I'd have my own way of using humor and intellect have and whatever the greatest else. Greatest mullet ever and a priest. I I actually I actually <laughs> did attain that. Um, right now, in whatever annals of forms that Plato is currently like uh, file. Uh, you know, like in his manila folders, if he pulled out mulleted priests right now, he's he I, I'm at least definition three. You would beat. Yeah, I'm you'd definition be, you'd three. Beat, you'd beat Mike Schmitz in a mullet. Only in that. Yeah, only in that. And in probably air squats. Probably not. Probably not. All right. We did it. I, I totally hijacked your. Uh, I, well, I'm sorry. I think it was, I think it was actually helpful. It, you know what? I I would honestly I'd recommend this book wholeheartedly I was, with corned beef hash. Yeah, exactly. At the Liberty Cafe. Liberty Cafe in Libertyville, not in Mundelein. Right. It's it's bordering on there. It's just That's a different a short five minute uh, bike ride from uh, Marytown. Yeah. I I just think if I had kids and we were playing sports and I was coaching whatever. I would want to hear this, and I'd want to be thinking about this. And I, if we did anything, we introduced the the topic and hopefully point you to Jean Vanier because this, if, if you're parents, you should be reading Jean Vanier because there's something here in this book that says, yeah, uh, that it's gonna it's gonna point you to something deeper. Here's here here's how I learned this. Okay, and this is my we're, we're concluding. I'm giving my shout out. I had a baseball coach that was also my basketball coach, Dave Overlot. Dave Overlot was one of the most caring, loving, kind men that I've ever encountered. I don't think he was Catholic. Uh, he probably was a former Catholic because I know Marge was former Catholic. That was his mom. And um, uh, then she became sort of a, a Protestant devotee, whatever. Sweet lady. Dave Overlot looked every single one of his players in the eye and said, I'm proud of you boys. And you guys played a great game. And we went like 0-16. And he would always affirm us. His dad, Buzz, was our baseball coach. He would give us uh, sticks of juicy fruit if we caught a pop fly. I caught zero pop flies. If you have a son and he wants to get involved in sports, say you'll only do it if you get an eye exam. Because otherwise you're going to sit in the bleachers and say, why does my son suck? <laughs> and it's because he needs freaking glasses. Anyways, so Buzz would give us juicy fruit. I think I caught one pop fly that whole freaking summer. Um, and then he became my basketball coach. And he was awesome. His assistant coach was um, a guy that I, I won't even mention. He's a freaking a-hole. He took his son into the showers. And while Dave would give us an encouraging, you know, kind of halftime speech, he would yell at his son and say, you got to be better. You can't pass the ball to these losers. You got to be the best. And we would hear him and his son would be crying. And then he'd come out in the second half and his son would dominate. His son would dominate. He was a great basketball player. He would dominate and we'd win the game. And over over time, I think that really took an effect on his son. I'm sure. And and maybe at my 20th reunion, I'll be like, hey, you should listen to this podcast because I'm talking about your dad. Right. And Dave Overlot, he's Overlad. a saint. He's a saintly man. That's good. That's a good example. And I hope I hope somebody points Dave Overlot to this to this podcast because uh, I love that man. Very nice. There you go. First shout out, Dave Overlot. Well done to the uh, mail. Oh my gosh! All right, go ahead. Hello, fathers. Greetings from Newman University Church in Dublin, Ireland. 
Um, I'm volunteering with a program called House of Bridget in Dublin, and I've been listening to the podcast for a couple years. Enjoy the banter on my walks to and from work. The church I work at was founded by St. John Henry Newman, beautiful, when he lived in Dublin and founded UCD. It's pretty cool to get to work at the church. St. founded, absolutely. She sent us some stickers. Here you go. Ready? So uh, a shout-out to Catherine Dunn. And to all those who are working at Talk Bride. Ooh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Pronounced Shockbreed. 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 So slancha to uh, Catherine and to all those who are listening. Thanks for... I, th- I think that's our first letter from Ireland, right? That's all I got here. How many pages is that? Twelve pages. Twelve. Hand, it's a twelve-page 12, 12 handpit. I'm going to read the first paragraph. Hi, Reverend Fathers, Catholic Stuff You Should Know team, and J. Tindanefeshu. Music plus voiceover. Welcome to Catholic Stuff. You should know a J10 initiative. Welcome to this special podcast all the way from a wintry, cold, scenic, but stunningly beautiful Scotland. Just let me picture the scene. Close your eyes. A big white house, three floors, 21 bedrooms, large gardens, trees, and a statue of Our Lady surrounded by fields and a forest with a large flowing river. On your left, two distant snow-covered peaks with cloud cover. On your right, a distant snow-covered peak with a large horseshoe between an even higher snow-covered peak. Straight ahead, high hills with large snow-covered peaks looming in the distance. So, podcast listeners, you're probably wondering, who is this guy? Where is the priest? And why is it coming from Scotland, Ireland? I'd understand. Why is it coming from Scotland? Ireland, comma, I'd understand. But Scotland, question. Really, Mark? Question. (laughs) Whatever. Is it from Craig Lodge? Yeah. How'd you know that? Craig Lodge community. Yeah, buddy. Have you been there? I've been there. Who is it from? Well, podcast listeners, today Don't we're at the Craig Lodge. Yeah, at Craig the Family Lodge. House of Prayer in Dal Molly. And I'm Sean Barker. Sean Barker. So, Sean, I don't think you were there when we retreated a year and a half ago, but Father Daniel and Father Evan and myself and Brian Fisher and Mike Mike Rapp did our retreat there. Huh. Coop and Fisher didn't do the retreat. They had already done the retreat. Uh-huh. So they were just hanging out. They just were drinking yeah. whiskey. We were making, actually making retreats sure. at Craig Lodge. We were all living there. Nice. Coop and Fisher take the car out for uh, to go to Sky, Isle of Skye. I forget where they were going. They go up to the gas station, unleaded gas into the diesel. Oh, my. What? <laughs> Who was this? Coop? It was Fisher. Fisher? Yeah. Into the diesel engine, kill the whole thing. Yep. So that all happened at Craig Lodge, but this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Wow. We went to, we one night we broke from retreat and we drove through, uh, um, oh, Joe McGill's going to freak out because I'm saying all these things wrong, but we, where was the Bond movie filmed? Um, Glencoe. And we went to the Glencoe Inn and we came back to the retreat center and there's this amazing old family hmm. uh, that founded this place, this house of prayer. And she said, where were you tonight? And we said, we went to the Glencoe. And she goes, what were you doing at the Den of Iniquity? And we were like, true. Yeah. Innocence, right? So that's great. Craig Lodge. All right. So Father Mike, Father Michael, Father Nathan, Father John, thanks for everything. I'd really, 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 really times one million like a T-shirt and a mug. <laughs> we don't, have we don't even make mugs. The heck, Sean right. Barker. Sean Barker. Uh... I'm from Ireland and can't buy one online. Medium T-shirt, please. Times one million. We'll send it to can't Joe, Joe buy McGill. One. Thanks. Stay humble. Stay close to Jesus. 
Sean Barker. Uh, home address, uh, 54 Granville Road. That's all I'm going to tell you. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that That's the longest letter I think we've ever received. 12, 12, 12 pages. pages. Yep. All right, and then I'm going to read a postcard. Hello, fathers. We just wanted to send you uh, a quick note of thanks for sharing all your Rome suggestions. They are fantastico. We enjoy seeing all your brother priests over at the city, even shopping for new vestments. Amanda and Michael from Rochester, Minnesota. Rochester. Thanks again. Well, that's it. That's it. We did it. That was only four hours long. All right. It wasn't four hours, okay? We'll see. You know, you don't have to be competitive or scrupulous about this. I don't have my phone. I can't see. No, it was good. It was this good is Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We're going to shut it down. Father John likes them neat and tidy. Yeah, we will see you next week at our uh, 10th anniversary celebration. 10th anniversary coming up. Maybe one more before then. Really? We'll see. We'll see. We might have one more. Okay, babe. (laughs) All right, we'll see you then. 48 trains. What a loser. Ciao, ciao.